You're listening to Passioners Podcast with Norbert Pustai. It's all about meaning, mission, and passion. Hi, everyone. Today, my guest is Alex McIntosh. If his voice is familiar to you, it's not an accident. He's the voice of the intro of Passioners Podcast. Hi, Alex. Hi, Norby. How are you? Thanks, Groot. And thanks for accepting my invitation. So you are from Canada. Can you tell me about your career path, how you arrived to Hungary after visiting and living in many, many countries? Sure. So to call it a career path is very interesting. I wouldn't call it a career path necessarily because I've done so many different things that don't seem connected. Um, when I left Canada in 2004, I was working in a sales job. I was doing door-to-door sales for a natural gas company. It was terrible. You only got paid if you signed a five-year fixed-rate contract. And if you didn't get signatures, you didn't get paid. So that meant some people would do some some out-of-the-ordinary things to get the signature. It wasn't the best people, I should say. I got a phone call from a friend in South Korea who was teaching there, and they had an opening at their school. So when he asked me if I would like to go for a year, sign a year contract, and go to South Korea to teach, uh, I looked at my life in Ottawa, Canada, going door-to-door, selling natural gas, and I decided I would go to South Korea to teach. And that really o- opened up my whole life, changed everything. It was my first time outside of Canada, and I've been abroad almost ever since. Have you told before, or that was the first time teaching? And uh, do you have any... Um Accreditation, diploma regarding teaching English? This was the interesting part, is I had no experience in teaching anything. My major was business and marketing. So I had some experience explaining things, you might say, or promoting things, but not teaching things. But that was not an issue. In South Korea, you need a four-year degree in anything to qualify to teach. Of course, you need to be a native speaker as well. This was at that time. Things have changed now, but at that time, you just needed a four-year degree, a heartbeat, and a a native English-speaking accent. Mm -hmm. So why was it attractive to you to move to South Korea? You wanted to just escape from your recent job in Canada, or there was something which um, was like especially uh, a a big, um, like a calling for you? I was working, doing the door-to-door sales, natural gas stuff. The reason I took that job, it was an extreme challenge for me because of the situation. And this is kind of tells you about my personality, how I like to challenge myself. Um, Because it's door-to-door sales, it attracted a lot of people to this job who were 
not educated, um, not in a good place in their life. And here I was, uh, just finished a marketing degree, and nobody else had a university degree. Most of the people at that company didn't finish high school. Some of them didn't have a bank account. Some of them didn't have ID. This was the type of person that I was working with, and I saw uh, anything would, would be would have when the opportunity came to go somewhere else and escape that, I was at the point that I think I had learned as much as I wanted from the door-to-door -door sales. I've read in motivational books that a lot of people start this way. And I'd read books. I'd read Zig Ziglar's books. I'd read um, Jim Rohn's books. And they, they talk about this, the life of the salesman. And just completing a marketing degree, I like that idea. I, it intrigued me, so I decided to try it. But after nine months, I got all the lessons that I needed, you know, how to take rejection and how to continue with, um, uh, when you have momentum, how, the, how momentum works. And it just was good timing when my friend called me. It was at the perfect moment where I was was looking for new work anyhow, and this just seemed like a exciting adventure to go to South Korea. So what was your motivation in, in teaching English? I mean, that was just an opportunity to move out from Canada, but then it became your, can I say, passion? Sure. When I arrived in Korea, they basically just gave us the books and said, there's your classroom. And they gave us the register with the children's names on them. And that was it. It was up to us to discover our own way of teaching the material. We had to cover so many pages per day, that was it. So that, to me, was, was very suitable for me because I like to find my own way of doing things anyhow. And so... I was able to make it fun. That was the most important thing. I learned very quickly that if you make it fun, the time goes by faster as an instructor, and the children have much, much better time, and you can get more out of them. So I learned from a really, uh, almost uh, well, very early on in teaching that if, you, you know, if you're one of these crack the ruler teachers, you know, like heads down, you know, start writing and very kind of militant teaching style. You don't get the best work out of the out of the children. If you make it fun and make it creative, then things happen that you beyond your biggest expectations, and then it makes it fun to go to work. Right? You had to make it fun. The people that I worked with in South Korea who were super serious all the time, you could see that they were they had unnecessary stress and. They weren't having as good a time as I was, so mm -hmm. this is what kind of where the passion of teaching came from was almost by accident because we had so much freedom to do what we wanted to do um, we would I would do some 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 things like for example, we're teaching words like inside out and backwards, talking about clothing, so I would walk into class with my shirt inside out another time I would come with a hat on backwards for example and and the children would tell me what was wrong just little things like that and and to have fun with the language and and produce the language 
outside of the textbook. It was really important to me that we, we take, a, take a lesson from the book and then get rid of the book as fast as we can and start doing things together, communicatively. That's really what, what learning the language is for, not just studying and writing in a book. It's interesting what you are saying because many people say that my, my job is not meaningful enough. But then you can create value and you can create uh, a meaningful job with your work, so with your creativity. And uh, Yes, that's true. And it reminds me of a story. When I was in Korea, a friend of mine worked for a kindergarten and he asked me if I would like to try a, um, like a private teaching gig outside of my contract, which was you know, a gray area, let's call it, but that's okay, a lot of teachers did that. Um, because I wasn't working at the, in the mornings, I only worked in the afternoons, so I had time in the morning, and a friend of mine asked me if I would teach at the kindergarten, so I didn't want to, but it was kind of like the door-to-door -door sales. It was a challenge, and I want to try it, because you never know if, something, if, you're, if you're good at something until you give it a try. And... After the first week, I called my friend back, and he asked me how it was going, and I said, it's going terribly, and I was ready to quit, and I, I wanted to know how much notice I should give. And he said, he asked me what the problem was, and I said, the problem is every, every morning when I leave there, I have a pounding headache. I said, the children don't respond to me, I don't speak Korean, they... they I said, I don't think that I'm a good fit. And he said that he disagrees. And he gave me this bit of advice. He said, your goal is to, for next week, is to not get the headache. That's your goal. Spend time with the kids, do the lessons, but don't give yourself a headache. If, if one child gets up and runs away, and just let him go. Focus on the other ones. Focus on engaging with the other ones. Don't worry. That kid that ran away, he's going to come back when he sees that what you're doing is more fun than what he could be doing. So that's your goal is to not give yourself the headache. And you know what? If it's not good enough, let them fire you. And this kind of became my lighthouse for a lot of things that I've done since. Do what approach work the best way that you know how. And if it's, if it's not good, you'll find out. So this is what I did. Uh, I went into that kindergarten and I refused to get a headache. And one year later, when my contract finished and I was leaving Korea, the, con the, the kindergarten teacher sat down with me in her office, thanked me for a year of teaching and gave me an extra month's salary and uh, told me that no native English teacher had ever stayed that long before. All because I refused to give myself a headache as a priority. So uh, things happen for mysterious reasons and things happen for not so mysterious reasons. It's how you approach them, I think. Hmm. Wow. That's a, that's a big achievement and, and then the feedback. And um, we were also talking about that um, 
so you stayed f many many years in Canada where were you born and then you moved to a totally different country I also hear from some people if you really want to uh, get to know yourself go to a totally different culture what did you learn about yourself in, in Asia in, in South Korea that's a really good one and it's absolutely true if you want to see your limitations and your strengths definitely you'll they will come out if you move to a totally different culture and immerse yourself in that culture I think um, the biggest thing that I I realized about myself is that I enjoy a challenge I enjoy a, a, a good challenge and at first although it might be it might not be enjoyable overcoming those those odds or overcoming that obstacle where there is no right answer there's no book you could ever look it up in you couldn't look, you couldn't find the answer online you have to figure out this problem whatever it is it's just you and and your capabilities uh, one thing that I had to develop was patience, of course, because everything took three or four times longer than it did. Uh, even once I started to learn the language, things happen for Koreans at a totally different speed than it happens for foreigners, and it took an adjustment period. Uh, luckily for me, food is not a major hang-up. So, for example, I could eat the same thing for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for a week without getting bored of it. And I would just cook big meals for myself. A lot of people had a difficult time adjusting to the food. Korean cuisine is spicy, but not hot and spicy. It's Kimchi is cold and spicy, and that's difficult for a lot of people. It takes, some, takes a few years, and then you get to really enjoy it, but... Korean food itself, spicy food for breakfast is not uh, everyone's thing and a difficult thing for a lot of people. So for a long time, I just cooked for myself. I, I participated in as many things as I could and found my tribe, as, as they say. Mm -hmm. So you really enjoy teaching people, teaching children, why did you decide to fund companies? I always considered myself an, an entrepreneur or a solopreneur, I guess, um, first. What I mean by solopreneur is I, would, I, I liked working by myself. And teaching English gave me that power. And... When you're in the classroom teaching, there's no one looking over your shoulder telling that you're doing something wrong or, or um, even just watching what you're doing. And I like working by myself. I like to be in control of my work environment. And this also fits in with, with uh, running a business. Those are major challenges that I like. And I've tried lots of different business ventures over the years. But one of them, uh, freelancing, is one of my favorite things to do because I, ha I get to build a relationship with my client. That's important to me. 
And if someone needs to take a day off, if someone has a wedding to go to, if someone's you know, just not feeling good that day, we can postpone the lesson. And it's totally okay. On the other hand, if I have a job with, let's say, the government of Canada, and one day I, I want to go to a wedding or I'm just not feeling good, I can't just take off. As a freelance English teacher in Korea for a, about five years, what I was able to do was to replace myself and take a vacation. So, for example, what I used to do was I would take it one month in the winter and one month in the summer, and I would hire a couple of freelance teachers to teach my classes. It was great for the students because they got another point of view for a short time, and it was, it was great for me because I was able to keep what I was doing and travel and see, look for the next piece of the puzzle in my life. So you mentioned before the startups you, you established, you founded. Uh, what were these companies about? The first one, like the, fir the first serious one that I, I started was called Revolution Art. And it was not art, it was interior decor, basically, for hotels and restaurants and, and people too, but mostly for hotels, restaurants, and bars. The artist was in Vietnam, and he could paint anything in any size. I would just send him a picture, and he could paint it. So I would design in Photoshop using Pantone numbers for colors that he could reference in Vietnam. And I would send him the size. He would paint oil on canvas, take a picture of it, send it to me. If I wanted to make some changes, I could. And then a week later, he would roll it up and ship the painting to Canada, where I would stretch it and then install it. So I would go into hotels. I would do a lot of hotel lobbies. We did uh, bars and restaurants, custom, a lot of custom work, portraits, this kind of thing. So we did that uh, from 2006 to 2008 when the financial crisis hit. I didn't have a very good plan in, in motion for the, the, the 2008 financial crisis. I didn't see it coming. And as soon as that happened, restaurants, bars, and, rest, and uh, hotels stopped renovating immediately. And you know, they, they changed the way they did business from then on. And, I couldn't continue, unfortunately. So that was the first first business. And uh, that was the one that I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I learned the most lessons in. Because if you rely on one industry only for your top line, and something happens to those industries, the top line no longer exists either. So it's about putting your eggs into different baskets and not the same basket, which is exactly what I did. Mm -hmm. This is the one that I'm most proud of. Okay, thank you for sharing. And is it important because you, you've done different things uh, with the sales and, and uh, teaching English and then this business. 
um, is it important to have one main line in your businesses and following that and, and having one main uh, brand or it's not that important you can you can build different um, um, so the portfolio can be really different uh, you you are having uh, this uh, painting business and then um, in different industries something different what's your opinion about this I've learned this over the years, that you, your vision, that you, it's good to have a vision, you need a vision, but it needs to be a flexible vision. And what I've been able to do, or what I've focused on trying to do, is just to put something out into the market, accessible to a, more than one group, and let each group kind of have a bite, almost like you're fishing, right? And to go to the biggest pond that you can find to cast your hook. What I had done previously was I, w I was fishing in a small little puddle and only hotels, bars, and restaurants could see what I was offering. Whereas what I should have done was tried to put it out to, to many more people. Another thing that's important is to not be stuck on your vision because the market will determine what they like. And for you to predict exactly what that is, is not, it's not um, realistic. So to have a flexible vision and not, get, you know, not, not marry your ideas. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they, they, they think they're smart and until you do something, you don't know how it's going to turn out. And people marry their ideas. So when people criticize their idea or want to change their idea, they take that personally. And I've learned not to do that. Ideas and businesses have life cycles. They start, some of them don't get started, and they die. Some of them do really well for a year, and then they fade. If you're married to them, if you personalize them, you set yourself up for failure, in my mind. This is, this is the biggest lesson that I learned in, in business. Put an idea out there. Don't throw all your money behind it. See if anyone's interested in it. If so, give it a little bit more attention. Give it a little bit more money. Give it a, a bigger push. And then see where it goes. If, it, if something grabs it and it takes it in a totally different area, great. If nobody touches it, no problem. I got three more ideas that I want to give a little push to. And, and for me, this is the most exciting part, is taking an idea and finding a place to give it a little push and see if people like it. This is what I, I love to do. This is my passion these days. After uh, living in, in, um, in South Korea, you also lived in Japan, and then you moved to Hungary uh, this year or last year. Yeah, I was in Japan in 2007. I was in. Uh, I moved from South Korea in 2017, just last year. Um, so this is my first first year in Hungary. Yeah, 2018. Mm -hmm. So, what are your projects uh, in Hungary? What do you do here? So I'm still teaching, of course. I teach in my apartment, and I also teach uh, for some companies. I do mostly one-to-one -one teaching, so a kind of language consulting, I like to call it, where we can adjust the goals and work on different projects depending on 
what, what the client is interested in or what they need for work. So this is something that I still love to do and so I continue to do it. But what this gives me is the time to try some other projects. So I was, I was always interested in transitioning from teaching to training because I think with more people in the room and with skill-based instead of language-based, there's more impact that I can make. I've always been interested in business and business skills, and I can use what I learned learning the hard way to help other people in their business in a multitude of different ways. So this is the what I'm trying to do now. It's called You Unlimited, and we are rolling out some taster workshops this year, getting ready for some bigger ones next year. So with the soft skill training is something that um, uh, a smooth and small um, steps and process uh, from becoming uh, a trainer from so becoming a trainer from being uh, an English instructor and coach which is actually you you develop your English teaching skills and and you made it uh, like um, using new methodologies and new methods and and um, you try to help them as finding goals and and it's more like a, a coaching process the whole english learning and uh, then you started something new which is really connected to the uh, english teaching the soft skill trainings so you realize what are the needs and this is how you uh, find new solutions and make your transition uh, from from the english instructor I'm still very much a, a language instructor because the soft skills that I want to train are to Hungarians who speak English as a second language. So language is still very much an important part of the soft skills development. And I think it's important for the trainer to have a background in language because language is the, the, the means of transferring the skill. And often speaking is involved, communicating is involved. Language is very important. And, and it plays a huge part in soft skills development as well. And um, so what are your, your favorite topics? You're also a member of uh, this international public speaking organization, Toastmasters. Uh, how have you find your own topics inside the soft skill training uh, word. So Toastmasters has been um, a part of my life for about four years. I love Toastmasters. It's an instant network no matter where you go. It's It's been um, most of my good friends that I have here in Hungary I've met through Toastmasters. It's a good, really good place to network as someone coming in new. Public speaking is whether we want to admit it or not, is one of the biggest things that determines a leader from a follower. Someone who risks um, uh, looking foolish by standing up and, and speaking to a group, um, or whether it's uh, disagreeing with someone in public, but doing it in a tactful way, respectful way. These things are all 
have their underpinnings in public speaking. And language is a very important part of that. The words that you use and the order you use them, plus your intonation and your and and everything, volume and pitch. So the two things are very, very well connected. And this is why I feel that I'm not uniquely qualified to do this, but with the businesses that I've started, I think I have a different approach. I have a different insight to something that has been people have been training on for you know 50 years so the the combination is different and that makes what i do different why is it important to have a a, a clear message and a clear how to uh, communicate clearly or what what you are doing i mean your business you also have pitching workshops When you, when you hear someone clearly and concisely describe a problem, solution, and the benefit that, that, uh, that it provides, it's, it's, a, it's a real moment. Because we're not used to hearing things in a clear, concise way. We're used to hearing people kind of stumble over themselves Think they know what they they have an idea what they want to say, but they don't know exactly how to get there. And with the with the pitching workshop, we provide a straight path. You know, we, it's not a bending path; it's a straight path. And people aren't used to hearing that, and it's powerful when you hear it. And you it, it immediately you, your ears perk up, and you realize that there's something special about that person who is able to streamline their thoughts in such a way. So knowing that, this is what we teach, and it gives an advantage to people that can use this technique. And this is what is so exciting about teaching that. Thank you for sharing. Uh, before we are uh, finishing our conversation, is there anything you'd like to share with us? For those listening in Budapest, if you would like to hear more about what we do, the name of the little training company is called You Unlimited. You can find us on Facebook. Our logo is a blue rocket ship um, hurtling towards space through the letter O in the word U. And we have some taster workshops coming up. And the, we, we, if you're a job seeker, entrepreneur, if you want to get a better position in, in your current workplace, if you want to be better in, in meetings, if you just want to work on your leadership skills, it's, um, we, we have something for you. So please check us out on Facebook. It's called You Unlimited. Thank you very much, and I'm really thankful for you because I learned a lot from, from you, especially um, I visited your workshops and, and also with my English skills. And um, for the, the big message of, of today's podcast for me as being agile, so seeing the new opportunities and not sticking to one main idea and uh, being flexible. Thank you for sharing this, this uh, message today and thanks for accepting the invitation.
It's my pleasure, Norby. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Bye, and see you again soon. Bye-bye.